0: Welcome to Through the Keyhole. I'm your humble host, Jeremy Key. On this episode of The Keyhole, I had the distinct pleasure of speaking with Adam Lane Smith, a coach, author of dozens of books, both fiction and nonfiction, and an expert on attachment styles. What are attachment styles, you may be asking yourself? It's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked. Why are you the way that you are? Why is your partner so weird? How did your parents probably screw you up as a kid? And how can you move past all of this to live a happy and fulfilling life both individually and together with others? This is Attachment. This is what Adam and I talk about. And he will be on the show again. If you enjoy this episode, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Please also consider leaving a review on whatever platform you found us. Helps us to reach a wider audience. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy A. Key as well as at The Keyhole, both of those spelled K-E-E. Here's my interview with Adam Lane-Smith. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is Through the Keyhole with me, your host, Jeremy Key. My guest today is a very, um, it should be an interesting show. Uh, His name is Adam Smith he is not a world famous economist but he is actually a licensed therapist he does a lot of work with attachment and trauma and a lot of other things um i could i could ramble on about who he is and what he does but i think it's probably better to come from him so adam welcome to my show thank you for having me on so i was i was thinking maybe we could start with uh you just telling us A little bit
1: about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, and maybe a little bit why you do it. Absolutely. So I am forced to go by Adam Lane Smith because I started off publishing fiction novels, and then I've written a couple of psychology books, and you do not want to be Adam Smith on Amazon. (laughs) Adam Smith, they will never find you. There's about 3,000 entries before you'll get to me. Adam Lane Smith, you at least, you could probably wade through some of the Adam Smith guys so I've I've been forced to go by that name, but that's okay. All three names kind of makes it sound official. At least I tell myself that. Who I am. Um, So I am a retired licensed marriage or family therapist. I terminated my license so I could go wider than just the state. Because when you have a, a therapy license, you can only work with people in that state and you can't really do coaching. It's considered therapy. So you're still bound by HIPAA compliance rules and all kinds of things, which are great the the rules for protecting people are great but the documentation the expenditures are enormous so I terminated that license I do some coaching now I'm building a coaching platform I've written a bunch of books on attachment my clinical specialty when I was a therapist uh, was PTSD and attachment and the way that that trauma can influence the your ability to connect to other people from there though I branched out into attachment as without Uh, without any trauma, attachment with just simple life events, attachment issues that come up for seemingly no reason. Even three or four generations back, there was trauma and everybody has been happy ever since then. So that has been my clinical experience. I also do a ridiculous number of other things, but for now, that's all you need to know. I've done work in correctional facilities for inmates. I've worked with death penalty inmates who are up on the stand facing the death penalty for multiple murders, I've worked with gang member dropouts who are 45 years old, had been in a gang since they were 12, and now had to try to figure out how to build a life from inside prison for the next five to 10 years. And then once they got out, I worked with people who were disabled due to severe mental illness and could not leave their home. So I go into their home and provide mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. I worked in a clinical setting. I worked with people who are homeless and come in with heroin addictions uh, and they needed parenting tips because their kids were now suicidal at age of 10. I've worked with millionaire business owners. I've worked with preachers. I've worked with political figures. I have worked with just about everyone. (laughs) And I could say attachment really is at the heart of at least 99% of all of those issues, whether you're homeless or a gang member dropout or suicidal or a millionaire business owner attachment is at the, at the heart of everything.
0: I, I tend to agree. Um, anyone who knows me, uh, to any depth knows that if, if I'm not talking about attachment, then I'm probably just not talking. Um, I guess maybe I could give my, just my quick, uh, my quick, um, attachment testimonial, uh, if I can yeah. borrow that phrase, I, um, in my own therapy early on in my own therapy, with my current therapist, uh, she, she just brought it up one, one session And she gave me this questionnaire and, you know, I'm a, I'm a licensed professional counselor. So I remembered attachment uh, from, from grad school, but we didn't really go into it, which Mm -hmm. looking back now, it's like, why didn't we go into it? Um, But she gave me this questionnaire and, you know, I, I answered the questions and, and my attachment style came out and it was like, yup, that's definitely me. Um, And then as I began researching it and, and wanting to understand more about it, what I started seeing was all these all these disconnected disparate life events that I just thought were like their own thing uh mm-hmm. even though I could see that they were fought they had followed you know one or two pretty distinct uh well-pronounced patterns but I had never put those patterns together and seen them as a big whole. and then knowing my attachment style it was like just connecting all the way down (laughs) um and and so like that that informed not just my my personal development but that also that uh really was like a shot of adrenaline to my professional development uh wanting to focus on attachment so i think we've said the word attachment probably four dozen times by now um for anyone counting i'd love to know what that number is at the end of the episode but not That's a
1: terrible wonder- drinking game man
0: <laughs> take a shot yeah it's it's currently a saturday morning at nine ten, uh so we should take a <laughs> shot every time we say attachment and see where we are in an hour um we'll have people in the hospital after just 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'll be getting all sorts of lawsuits my son died because he listened to your stupid podcast <laughs> um so not everyone may be familiar with attachments. Uh, they may have heard the word. They may have some ideas of what it is, but it's, it's not as widely known as I think it should be. So I'll stop talking now. Adam, what is attachment? Why, why and how did you get into attachment specifically? Uh, and let's just go from there, because you've said before that uh, on, on other podcasts, you said before that attachment is everything why what is it
1: and why attachment is the way that one human being connects to another human being with faith that that other human being genuinely cares about their well-being it's trusting the other person actually loves you uh, understands who you are and accepts who you are and won't abandon you at the drop of a hat that's healthy attachment unhealthy attachment is the belief that other people if they knew who you really are would abandon you because there's something with wrong with you deep down inside that everyone else can see that you don't know what it is. And if anyone sees it, they will get up and leave the table and, and be done with you. So you can't ask for your needs to get met. You have to say yes to every request that comes in because you are a burden on everyone else and you have to constantly refill their good feelings toward you. Every relationship is like a bucket with holes poked in the bottom and you are going to every day going to every relationship bucket that you have, filling it up over and over and over trying to make sure everybody still likes you and you can never stand up for yourself. You can't prioritize your principles over abandonment. You have to give in and and make everybody like you no matter how hard it is and no matter how unhappy you are because of it. And if you ever stop, everything will come crashing down and you will lose everything. That's bad attachment. And most of us live that way without recognizing that that's an abnormal state. Most people just think it's fine. They just think that's it's just expected. Most people spend a lot of their time worrying what other people think about them without any prior indication that that person's mad at them. Most people are so in damage control mode That they are almost like a a PR spokesman for a corporation, but for themselves, running around, running damage control on themselves because they dared to breathe or ask for a ride somewhere or want to sit close to somebody. And it it is almost impossible to maintain relationships in a healthy way in that way, because your relationships are exhausting. Your relationships all become performances. Your relationships are always about you making sure everyone else is happy at your own expense. When you get into intimate relationships, that problem gets worse, not better. Instead of the trust deepening and you get closer and feel more relaxed, it's really the other way around, especially during points where you have to try to earn the other person's love. And especially because people with attachment issues tend to look for partners and friends who have severe issues because it's easier to meet that person's needs and make that person grateful toward you so that they will never leave you. So then the pressure goes up even more. Life is, is not relaxing at all. At that point, it spreads to every part of your life. When I say attachment is everything, I mean, if you have bad attachment, you are looking for approval from everyone around you. So if you try to run a business, you will be saying yes to every client demand and getting run over with people that won't pay their bills, that people treat you like garbage. you you, it's almost difficult it's almost impossible to run a business if you have employees under you they'll run you and right into the ground they'll take money from you and you won't do much about it. it it's almost impossible most people to maintain a marriage the vast majority if not all divorces i've ever seen at least one partner had an attachment issue because they were working so hard to make the other person like them that yeah. they didn't get their own needs met. They had no idea what their needs were. They were frustrated at the other person. I did 10 nice things for you and you couldn't even think about doing one nice thing for me. Don't you love me? And there are partners sitting there saying, why didn't you just ask? Just ask for anything. Um, work, even if you don't run a business, it's very difficult at work. You can't speak up for yourself. You just gossip behind other people's backs. You just grumble. You just get angry and resentful. So you get passive aggressive. You do work less on the clock and spend more time on your phone, hiding in the back closet. Um, I'm trying to think of all the different ways in life that it just impacts religion, your religious faith. It is almost impossible to have good religious faith when you have attachment issues because you cannot conceive of being loved, being forgiven, being cared for, having positive outcomes. It's very difficult to maintain any kind of religious connection in that regard. Um, but I, I'm trying to think of all the other ways that this. No, I mean it is it is it touches everything. Yeah. Everything because the human the human life is built on relationships. Your job is your relationship to society and to the people that you are working for and the people who are paying you for your service. Your religion is a relationship to the divine. Your marriage is a relationship to the um, to your other partner. Parenting is a relationship to your children. Friendships are a relationship with other human beings every single thing you do acts in a relationship even if you paint a painting what you are doing is taking the image from your head and putting it out on a canvas so that other human beings can see what you already see even art and creation is based on relationships Hmm. and that even touches attachment which is why a good painter who is they think painting for themselves has crippling problems and can't put that paint down on the paper and and can't write their book for themselves can't do all these arts for themselves is because really you're doing it for the viewer Mm -hmm. and you are so terrified of your relationship with the viewer and of them judging you and of them seeing those imperfections and realizing that you are a piece of crap and everyone in your life turns on you because you've been exposed because you painted this one flower and it wasn't perfect. That's why they can't even create. They can't even have fun. They can't do much of anything. And that's why they often develop like video game addiction, porn addiction, lots of addictions that ease the pain and especially video game addiction Mm. makes it easy to feel good about yourself and powerful and have accomplishments that don't mean anything in the real world but you can have these wonderful accomplishments you could never in your eyes have in in real life that's why mmos are so massively popular that's why world of warcraft at least last time i checked had something like eight million players Mm -hmm. um we're talking millions and millions of people attachment touches every part of your life and most people don't know it and most people most people are losing a fortune to attachment attachment costs you a fortune even if you're a business owner and don't have attachment your employee's attachment is costing you a fortune it's man attachment is everything i could go on for 10 hours but I'll, i'll let you talk
0: no um you know one of the ways one of the ways one of the reasons, uh, I guess, early on when I was studying attachment, one of the things that stood out to me as, as an indicator that this is something that's legitimate and true was, you know, I would read books or I would read case studies about attachment. And when we would get to the section about my particular attachment style, I would see the entirety of my life, every decision I've ever made just described in in lucid detail on these pages by people who've never met me like you just now you basically describe the first 30 years of my life um and this is the first time we've ever spoken in person so it's it and and, you know that's that's kind of how i preference uh, uh preface it to clients is that is that i'm going to if if my if my suspicion of your attachment style is correct I'm about to describe your life to you and tell me where I get it wrong. And it's rare that I, you know, out of 10 points, it's rare if I don't get at least nine, like nail on the head kind of thing. Um, And you, you know, you just made an interesting case, you know, people think of attachment and they, if they know anything about it, they probably think of it purely in terms of like romantic relationships or possibly Mm -hmm. as far out as, um, platonic relationships friendships but you just made a case for business and you just made a case for religion um yeah it's it it, it just it kind of blows my mind like i was sitting here very uncomfortably uh just now as you were describing uh, like you know putting your own personal preferences aside in relationships and trying to plug every hole in every bucket before you you know take care of your own um, it's like, mm-hmm. yep, I, I know what that's about. Um, what, so maybe when you could walk us through, uh, a little bit of the different ways that attachment manifests itself. Cause you know, in the literature, there are four main types and they each eek... only diagnosable in childhood too. Yeah. Only diagnosable in childhood too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which, in my experience, is is a mistake, to say the least. Uh,
1: so. Yes. So I went. I did. I did what I call therapist school. I did my my graduate degree out in California, and that was what they told us was these are attachment issues. You don't really need to know them unless you're working with kids. Uh, You probably won't see them or diagnose them yourself because it's usually it's usually psychologists who are doing testing who will find these attachment issues in in four year olds. You might see them in teens. If you have a a conduct disorder, then you might go back and diagnose them retroactively with attachment issue. Or if there's an adult, they will if they had an attachment issue in childhood, they will always have a personality disorder when they grow up. So if you have a personality disorder, you can diagnose them with these. But otherwise, you don't even need to know these attachment disorders because they're just for kids. I remember that talk in my schooling, and I remember I, I read uh, I read this tremendously good book, uh, Doctor Robert Glover's "No More Mister Nice Guy," hmm. and it that was my thunderbolt moment of wow, attachment is so much more than we thought. Because one of my um, my supervisor. One of my supervisors, when I was going through my licensure for my my therapy license, mm-hmm. um, would tell me, "Adam, this 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 client, what are you what are you thinking with this client?" I'd say, "Well, I mean, they act like they have PTSD, but they don't have traumatic events that you and I would say are life threatening. They have emotionally traumatic events where they weren't going to be killed, but they're responding as if they have trauma. But mm-hmm. How do I diagnose that?" And and my supervisor, I remember at one time he said, "Adam." It, and I said, man, it's feeling like these attachment issues are are there and and we can't diagnose them. And he said, Ignore what they've told you in school about when you could diagnose attachment issues. Just diagnose them with an attachment issue and that for me, that and Dr Robert Glover's book, those two pieces just clicked of yeah. ignore what they've been telling you about attachment for kids, and Dr. Robert Glover's book about about how attachment manifests and things like that 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 was an eye opening piece, yeah um Man, attachment is <laughs> I keep going back to it, and it is everything, and that was what that was what led me to really start thinking about it was seeing the ways that attachment begins taking shape when you don 't know what the word attachment means, yeah, it looks like for kids it 's anxiety for for almost all kids it's it can be perfectionism, it can be i can 't get this drawing right, and i 'm uncontrollably sobbing, and this happens multiple times, not just one time. It's, I didn't get an A plus in school, especially for girls. I didn't get an A plus in school. I only got an A and that means I'm not smart and nobody's going to love me. It's, it's, I don't want to try this thing because I won't be good at it. And everyone's going to see, I'm not good at it. So I better just not try it. It's, it can, it it can be trauma. It can be any number of things. um, Divorce, parental divorce is not guaranteed attachment problems, but darn near because if you have a divorce probably one of those parents has an attachment issue and has shaped that child growing up and then the family is cracked in half and the child learns that love is very conditional and that families can just explode and walk away from each other and then choices have to be made of who do you love more Mm -hmm. and the child's brain is not made to parse out cause and effect for other people the child's brain is meant to parse out cause and effect for themselves and say i caused this so here's what happened they blame themselves for the parental divorce. They blame themselves for their parents being too tired to spend time with them. Yeah. They blame themselves for the parent being gone all the time. They blame themselves for the parent leaving and abandoning them. If I was a better kid, they wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, that's the, something's wrong with me on the inside. Everyone can see it except me. And I don't know what it is. So I got to lock down and never let anyone tell who I am. It comes from the first six months of life. Sometimes. Yeah. If your parents, if your parents leave you to cry in your crib, not a little bit, but like where you're soiling your diaper and they leave you in there for 24 hours. And that's a regular occurrence that happens. That's an extreme example, but daycare in the first six months, daycare in the first six months, the child begins to adapt and connect to that caregiver. And then the switch caregivers and the child loses its primary caregiver and 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 its brain says, wow, that person is gone forever. Why did they leave me? Yeah, Like that's harsh people don't even think about that but your kid can tell like i have now lost my primary caregiver because she switched jobs because she got pregnant because my parents got in a fight with her because whatever it might be daycare Mm -hmm. is an enormous driver of attachment issues it can be not always but but it can be especially the younger the child yeah Um, yeah that i mean i mean there's just so much there
0: there's there's so much there um So you said something you said earlier on uh, that these people you're seeing that you were seeing these people, they looked like they had PTSD, but they didn't have PTSD. So I'm going to, I'm going to lay a situation on you and I want to get, I want to get your take on it. Um, It is actually, it was my situation. Uh, I was, I was born with a very rare medical condition. <clears throat> called it's mm-hmm. called Cruzon's disease and basically what it is is when the the brain of uh of the fetus the brain of the baby in utero is is growing as it should but the skull is not growing with it it's not growing proportional to it and so eventually the brain starts you know pushing up against the skull and it, it causes all sorts of like it it, it causes um malformation of like your facial structure and I think it's like it's like one or two chromosomes off from um from down syndrome like it's it's exceedingly rare I think that there were maybe two other people born with it in the world in the year that I was born Um, I'm in a medical textbook uh because (laughs) my last my last surgery in 2001 uh was considered experimental and I guess I was like one of the first uh, successful cases of that particular kind of surgery, so they put me in a medical textbook.
1: Um, but so wow. what, I, what I not I, not to make light of it, but that's also that's also kind of awesome in some ways that you it, are that your your experience is that unique yeah yeah it it, it um it created a lot of opportunities for a very
0: unique and difficult childhood as you can imagine yep. um, and so that's really that's kind of the direction I was I was driving at is that over over the course of the first 15 years of my life, I had uh, at least six, maybe seven uh, major surgeries. So basically, the, yep. the timeline was basically every other summer, uh, I had a major yep. surgery that lasted, you know, 10, 12 hours, I think my earliest one was like six weeks after I was born. Um, yep. and so that was the first 15 years of my life. And then and then of course, three months after my last surgery, 9-11 happened. So it was just like bouncing from one thing to the next. Um, but you, you said you said elsewhere, uh, you've indicated that like medical medical situations can lead to to um attachment kind of things. So if you had a client like me who had an an experience like that what would what might you expect to see in terms of attachments and obviously you don't know anything about my parents but
1: like what what might you expect so when I have someone come in who says here's what I had in childhood and I don't know if it has attachment impact Mm -hmm. um, I run an anxiety assessment first Hmm. and I say tell me all these anxiety pieces do you ruminate on when something gets stuck in your brain you can't get out of your brain you're worrying usually about what someone thinks about you or what's going to happen you turn it over and over in your brain and get stuck you start worrying pretty easily about stuff you have a hard time controlling that worry are you you know all all the anxiety pieces are you constantly fidgeting are you restless do you have insomnia um do you under eat or do you overeat All, all those anxiety symptoms i've got like 20 that i tend to assess for um And I ask for those. And then I say, okay, when did this happen? Probably early childhood before you can even remember, right? Mm -hmm. People kind of, well, yeah, before I can even remember, it's just always been who I am. That usually is a good indicator of that that attachment piece, that anxiety is always there. Because the the child's brain says, whatever's happening to me, my parent, if if it's a medical thing, my parents aren't stopping it. They're not protecting me. Mm -hmm. And something's wrong with me that these people keep hurting me. Why is there? Why are people hurting me? Why is nobody helping me? Why am I not worth protecting? That's what the little brain is starting to say, because you can't put it in a context. A little child's brain when they're a year old or two years old, there's no, there's no way to say, oh, I have this rare medical condition, right? No, there's no way if your parents can somehow contextualize it, it still doesn't help because the child's brain will say, well, can't we just stop? Can't we just stop and it'll just be fine? And the parents say no i'm sorry we can't stop and then the brain says well they must not love me why aren't they stopping all kinds of things happen so it's some of it's way beyond parental control yeah um but anxiety is the number one thing i assess for and then once when someone hits 12 13 14 15 i start assessing for i say all right where's your depression at we check all the depression symptoms you know, another 20 symptoms. And I say that probably started when you were what, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there, you know, early, early high school, late middle school. Yeah. yeah how did you know that? Well, that's the depression scale. And then that that's the attachment uh, attachment pattern. You yeah. become anxious and your brain worries and worries. And every time something bad happens, your brain says, no one's going to help me. I just have to worry more. So it clicks the worry up, clicks the worry up, clicks the worry up eventually you max out at 12 13 once you start going through some school changes and stuff especially changing friend groups Um, puberty hits that doesn't help and then eventually your brain says i have worried all this time and now here i am especially in high school dumped in with all these strangers and their social pressure and i have to perform with all these people and make new friend groups and i'm supposed to pick what i'm supposed to do for my life and all these classes are getting harder and there's so much homework there is just no hope. Nothing in my life will ever get better. It has only got worse. I give up. And the brain starts to crumble into depression. Depression is hopelessness. It's helplessness, number one, the feeling of having absolutely no power, no control. Um, and that's it's different for men and women, but that's the general idea of helplessness. And as that escalates into hopelessness, that's where suicidality comes in. That's where people start feeling suicidal. It's, it's awful and it will never get better. And at the core of it is my relationships. All of my relationships are performances. They all make me feel alone. I feel alone in a crowd of my friends. I feel more alone with my family than with anyone else. I am so alone and there's no reason to live. That's when suicidal feelings come in. Um, with, tra- with severe traumas and really bad issues, I start seeing panic attacks, Seven, 16, 17, 18, maybe 19, Um, Sometimes uh, manic episodes or hypomanic episodes will start, you know, to 19, 20, 21, 22, going off to college um, or late high school, start seeing bipolar issues coming in. Um, I've worked with medication providers who refuse to medicate people under 18 because they say, even if you have bipolar, it is behavioral and it's it's based on some sort of attachment issue. I will not medicate you for it under 18. I've worked with medication providers who will say that. Well, who have said that um and that's what i mean that's the pattern or sometimes full-blown schizophrenia i don't i i'm not educated enough on schizophrenia to say that it is based on attachment but i will say that some studies in was it sweden or finland they had people come in with their families people with Mm -hmm. schizophrenia and their families would come in and be extensively treated heal that attachment in a clinic and that that was their their outcomes were far better than any U S outcome with any medication. They would have zero medication, but they'd have almost, almost zero hospitalization rates. Their number of frequency for episodes would plummet. And when they did have an episode, it was far less severe because Mm -hmm. they had wonderful attachment. And when they did have issues, their family would gather around them and help them. Mm -hmm. So their issues were much less attachment stress was weighed down. And they had people right there to help them and bring that piece right back down again. So healing family attachment at the very least, seems to have a very strong impact, even on schizophrenia, even when you're not medicating that schizophrenia, mm-hmm. that's how important. That's how important attachment is people at that point really hits a lot of people. Cause we think, man, some of these issues, you just have to live with them. Some of these issues are just medication. Bipolar is just a medication problem. No. Schizophrenia is just a medication. You can't give therapy to schizophrenia patients. Well, yeah. you know, I have seen I have seen people with bipolar turn it around so hard that they're able to come off their bipolar medications and stay off of them for a year before we terminate therapy and yeah. have zero manic episodes. Wow, wow! If they fix attachment, that I mean, that hits close
0: to home. I um, I work in community mental health, uh, so I'm working with uh, a lot of a lot of people who um. They've got a lot of things going on. And one thing I see a lot of <clears throat> is get so disorder. Um, yes. I mean, yeah, it, it, like it's, it, it was it, it, like attachment. It was something that I just, I never really got a lot of exposure to in grad school. Yep. Um, I knew what it was. I knew roughly where it was in the DSM, but yep. like we didn't really go into it. Um, but having, working now with, with so many people, um, you know, broken homes uh, and they just they talk about it like it's like it's nothing like, yeah, of course, my home is like, okay. of course, I grew up without a father. Why wouldn't I? You know, I he was around when yeah, I was five, sad. so I was doing OK. I think it's like, no, no, he should be around still. Um, but just <laughs> the way that people, the way that a lot of my clients normalize these things that would. Uh, that are traumatic, um a client who had a family member who was shot uh several months ago, and the way this client told me was just like, Oh yeah, and then this person was shot and then and it was like whoa, whoa whoa, like I feel like that's something that we should we should focus on, but it just it didn't it didn't even move the needle for no. them but what what I've found right. is that alongside all of these things I'd say and probably. of my clients attachment 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 attachments um
1: yeah it it really is everything it's it's everything it is and it may not it may not be at the exact root of everything right schizophrenia there there may be there may be another issue causing it but at the very least attachment issues make everything else so much worse yeah so when you fix attachment issues everything else in your life that is isn't attachment becomes so much easier yeah having good attachment is like playing life on easy mode
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i've yes that's uh, i'm gonna have to put it to my therapist that way the next time we talk about it because that's exactly (laughs) what it is um so let's let's dig in a little bit to uh, to some of these some of these different areas that attachment can affect, and I want to go first into the most obvious one, which is relationships. Um, I know that you have a lot of observations about it, some very strong feelings about it. So maybe we could just jump in by say by asking what what is attachment what do attachment issues look like in relationships? What problems can they cause?
1: How can they, like, how can they show up? What do you got to say? Yeah. So in relationships, uh, let's talk about couples first. That's the easiest one. Um, It usually is finding a partner who has some issues and making yourself that person's caregiver in some ways that aren't obvious. You don't have to literally be the nurse by their bedside. It can be, wow, they don't have a car, so I'm going to drive them all over the place. No big deal. It can, it's, it's all the red flags that everyone else would run away from. And you're like, eh, that's no big deal. And you actually kind of like it. And it actually kind of, gives you a a chance to step into that person's life and make them extra happy and extra grateful. It is doing 10 nice things for that person and secretly hoping that they will figure out the one thing that you secretly want that you would never tell them and they have to figure it out. And if they ever ask you, you'll say, no, 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 I, I don't need that. I'm fine. Yeah. for men it's usually sex for men they're looking for sex and they cannot ask their partner i've worked with so many couples who haven't had sex they have sex once a year yeah and when i ask why the wife will usually say well he just he never asks and the husband will say well if i asked you would say no mm-hmm. <laughs> and i say how do you know that well yeah, she never asked. Just would <laughs> exactly Gosh. um for women, it's is often um, they throw sex out as fast as they can into the relationship to try to hook their partner because that's they feel like that's all they have, oh. especially young women who've been molested. Um, they really think that's all they have, so they throw it out in the relationship, yeah. like first date kind of stuff. Um, this is all I have. So I'm going to get you connected to me. And right. women, when they have an orgasm, they experience dopamine and oxytocin release men get the make they get the dopamine release, but not really the oxytocin. Huh. And women wonder why that sexual experience doesn't bond the man to her the way that it bonds her to him. Yeah. Um, a lot of women actually don't even experience orgasms in their relationships because sex is a performance to get approval from their male partner wow. and it's it's her way in the in the relationship of meeting his needs hoping he'll meet her needs later so it's it's not a emotional intimate connection moment it's i am a really good girlfriend or a really good wife look at me look at the things i'm doing for you aren't you happy aren't i such a good girlfriend yeah um it's almost impossible to have an orgasm under those circumstances. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> so, like, sure, I, I couldn't, I couldn't. I'm a guy, so <laughs> right. like, it is, it is what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. So relationships, so, that that's what it is, and and that's how relationships get torn apart. Friendships are the same. Friendships yeah. are are almost the same, and they suck. And people wonder why don't I have any friends? It's because your threshold for having friends is so high not on them but on you right you don't think you deserve to have a friend you don't know how to go find a friend because you don't think you have any qualities that would make someone want to be your friend right. you've spent so much time focusing on how you're a piece of crap that you haven't built your hobbies and interests to go out and join communities where people are doing those hobbies and interests and then meet people there to be your friend It's you're doing everything wrong why would you have friends that's the question yeah not because you're you're crap but because you've done everything wrong to avoid friends (laughs) yeah yeah and then of course that goes that goes
0: back to childhood because you know mom mom was distant dad was always around or mom was always around dad was always distant the the baby the the infant even you know because it like you said it really does start at birth getting these these mixed inputs like okay mom behaves one way toward me dad behaves another which one of these which one of these is the the healthy expression of love and care and protection how do I how do I receive that from them because from this parents all I got to do is goo goo gaga and I get all the affection I need from this parents I have to I have to you know, hit five home runs in the game, or I got yeah. I got to get all A's for you know K through 12 before they'll even like you know pat me on the back. Yes, and and yeah, so that obviously that carries through to relationships, whether romantic or friendship, because they you've you've gone through your whole life at this point not knowing what what healthy affection, what healthy love looks like. And so you've had to basically fall back on your training, but your training is it's going in
1: opposite directions.
0: And so you're, man,
1: yeah, Go and, ahead. and you nailed it though. You nailed it. Even if, even if one parent is perfect, let's say you're raised in a single parent household and the other parent's gone. Your child's brain is saying there's a 50, 50 shot, whether people will love me or abandon me completely. Yeah. How'd you like to play Russian roulette with half, <laughs> half the gun filled every time? Yeah. So you got a six-shot revolver, three bullets, and three yeah. empty chambers. You spin the revolver every time, you're part, if you're in a marriage later, you're yeah. raised in a single-child household, you grow up and you get in a marriage. Every time your partner asks you anything or has a need or you have a need, it's, okay, let me spin the revolver, three shots in and three shots out, let's yeah. give it a try. That's your brain is saying, 50-50 shot, this partner is going to divorce me right here on the spot Mm -hmm. if I ask her to have sex. 50-50 shot, he's going to leave me if I ask him to spend time with me. 50-50 shot. That's if you have a perfect parent. If you don't have a perfect parent, let's say if you raise with a single mom who is exhausted, who's working three jobs, has to put you in daycare, doesn't have much time to spend with you. You have a sibling who is angry at the world and beats up on you because of it you man you're looking at like 10 percent chance that the other person will love you 90 percent chance they're going to be angry at you for breathing yeah i mean that's how your brain yeah. feels yeah but but so you a, know, it, a, a, go ahead a parent can a parent can try to do everything right but if the deck is stacked that hard against them yeah as is your child may experience significant attachment issues you're yeah. going to have to do a lot of catch-up work uh, which usually involves fixing your own attachment first. right? And that will guide you through how to teach your child how to, go to have a good attachment. But it's it's really mindful investment from your own healthy attachment that is yeah. going to heal your child. Yeah, And it's got to be done. Er, earlier is better. Earlier is better. Yes. It's tough when people have a 16-year-old who is now depressed and the parent says, oh, well, why don't we just fix this relationship real quick? And the teen is like, I wish you were dead, you know, right. There's, I I wish we were both dead. Yeah. Pretty tough to fix things at that point by force, especially if you don't work on yourself first. Right. But the good, the good news is when you fix your own attachment, it becomes so overwhelmingly obvious to the world around you that you are a different human being. Now Mm -hmm. they will start responding to you differently. And you will have the tools to respond to them differently because by its nature, healthy attachment is itself one of the best tools on earth yeah. because you just walk into the room different and yeah. people respond to you different you could say something you don't even have to have the right words but if you have good attachment people will make up the difference for you yes yeah. it's, it's incredible so what do you think
0: what do you think is that difference what what do you what do you think Two, two people walk into a room one of them has a healthy secure attachment um the other one let's say has a an anxious a preoccupied attachment they both walk into the room what is the difference between those two
1: people even even if they both walk into the room smiling i don't think they will the person with weak with anxious <laughs> attachment might might walk in like kind of like nervous uh-huh. um
0: I can I go I back can a little confirm bit that, by the way. I can confirm that's yeah, exactly I mean, how I, they walk.
1: I'll go back a little. I'll go back and look at um, body posture. Your body posture will be different. Mm-hmm. Um, men who feel secure, we take up more space. It's kind of like that old joke. Where does where does an 800-pound gorilla sleep? Wherever he wants to. Uh, <laughs> men, men who have good attachment, we, what's that term? We man spread. We oh, take yeah. up eight seats and, and uh-huh. we sit like a Renaissance painting where our yeah. arm is draped up over the lamp. I mean, men, yeah, men with good attachment take up more space. Our Hmm. head is up, our shoulders are down. our our posture is better attachment even affects your posture the way that our eyes are open or kind of closed like we're anticipating an attack the eye contact we have with people Uh the the way that we move our legs and our arms while we're walking if you're if you have bad attachment your arms and legs are in tight and you don't move them very much when you walk if you have good attachment Uh you're swinging like you know you look like a (laughs) a chimpanzee while you're walking um all of these things when the person walks in the room you can see it Even if you don't know what you're looking at, even if even if you don't realize, wow, that person is smiling nervously, instead of that person is grinning at me with full confidence, even if you don't consciously recognize that your your animal brain in the back says, that guy is confident. I wonder why he's confident. He probably has a good reason to back up that confidence. I kind of want to talk to that guy. And he's going to walk up to you and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And he'll start asking you questions about yourself. Mm -hmm. And say, and hey, how's you know? And and he'll he'll be fun to talk to. The other guy will walk in stiffly and kind of stand in the corner for a while until someone forces him to go over to them and says, Hey, come over here, or he kind of will sneak into the edge of a group and sort of like, oh ha ha, laugh at some jokes. Even if even (laughs) if you have an extrovert who has bad attachment, they'll walk in and they might seem outgoing and interesting, but as you start to dig, Sometimes they'll be a little passive aggressive. Sometimes they'll be a little insecure about things. Sometimes you'll you'll accidentally push the wrong button. and They'll kind of well no, and they'll get defensive about things. Defensiveness is a huge attachment flag for especially for oh. extroverts. Um, it's it, 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 the experience that you have is so different with someone who has good attachment, someone who has weak attachment. Yeah. If you think back in your life to people you've talked to who have good attachment. It's like night and day. You say, Man, I love talking to that guy. That guy was great. And right. he makes you feel good about yourself because when you have good attachment, you are connecting to another human being and having a legitimate conversation. You're not steering the conversation towards specific outcomes, you're just having a good conversation and you care about the well being of both people involved. When you have bad attachment, your life is like that video game, Guitar Hero. You know Guitar Hero? Oh, yeah. You're playing the songs. Yeah. And this is my Guitar Hero face. And you're playing (laughs) the songs, and you're getting all the button pushes perfect. Mm -hmm. And if the song doesn't come out perfect, you didn't push the buttons right. That's what it's like having bad attachment. They're trying to get specific outcomes. I don't want anyone to dislike me. I don't want anyone to be mad at me. Maybe I'd like to make a friend. But if I did, they just wouldn't like me anyway. I'm just here to try to get something out of this. That's wow. bad attachment. It, it's attachment to outcomes. You are, you're not attached to people. You're attached to outcomes. Huh. Uh, you're looking for outcomes. You're motivated by outcomes. So all of your conversations are motivated by those same outcomes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exhausting for you to have conversations, but it's probably exhausting for other people to have conversations with you too because yeah. they're having to carry the bulk of the actual relationship. And they can sense when it's shut off. Right. When you're not there to have a relationship with them, they can sense that even if they don't know it. all of this adds up to people respond unconsciously to to good attachment and bad attachment, and they respond differently based on if they have good attachment or bad attachment, yeah, you know two yeah. people with good attachment like it's almost sickening <laughs> to watch them because they're they're so social, like yeah, like oh, how can you be that social like watching yeah. two people with good attachment but it's the stuff of movies it's the stuff that we see in sitcoms where they are instant best bros and they're cool and they're sharing their secrets they're like no this is just who i am it's cool and then they have a good time together and a legitimate fulfilling relationship and the rest of us watch that movie and go that doesn't happen in real life it doesn't happen in real life if you have bad attachment and if you have bad attachment you will gravitate toward other people who have bad attachment because you're trying to earn earn approval from each other. And people with good attachment will probably avoid you because they want to be around other people with good attachment. It's it's a segregation of attachments. It really is. Like yeah. attracts like in this regard. Um it's it really it really is
0: everything. That's gonna be the title of this episode: is attachment really yeah. is everything.
1: Um it really is, it really is.
0: So I'm just, I'm prioritizing my questions here.
1: Oh, yeah. You're all good. You're all good.
0: Um, hmm. Communication. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with attachment, communication, for better or for worse, plays a big part. Yeah. For people who have a healthy attachment, communication tends to be, you know, more or less correlated with their their healthy attachment. You know, it's, here's here's what I need. Here's what I expect. This is what I'm, this is what I'm willing to give in return. Just like everything on the table, the other attachment styles, not so much. Why is it that someone with an anxious attachment style or, or um, an avoidant attachment style, why is it that they have such a difficult time just saying like, okay, Adam, here is my expectation for the conversation or here is my expectation for the relationship or here's my expectation for for the job that you've just been hired for. Why is that seemingly basic level of communication so difficult?
1: Because every time you open your mouth, when you have bad attachment, is an opportunity to ruin everything in that relationship. Yeah. Every time you speak, every word you speak, that's why you'll see a, a person with bad attachment pause in the middle of a sentence and try really hard to think of the right word and they won't say anything out loud. They won't just, hey. Oh, <laughs> this word, this word, this word, they're like and the veins popping on their head as they're trying to think of the perfect word. Yeah. Um, that's why is because it's life and death to yeah. them. It's the death of the relationship. Every conversation. Um, here's what I like to say. Um, we have, we have this, this thing in our society about extroverts and introverts and there is something to that. Some people are extroverted. Some people are introverted. Um, I, I have I have three kids right now. One of them is very clearly more extroverted than the other kids, um, you know. And I and I always said that COVID nineteen finally proved that that extroverts are the most dangerous of all of us, um, and that extroversion is a public cri- health crisis. Yeah. I always said that, but but you know, realistically, um, a lot of people say I'm an extrovert, when in reality. You're probably not, you have Mm. horrific attachment problems and you act like an extrovert, but you're, you're not, you act like an introvert, but you're, you're not really, you probably, you might be an introvert, but you also might be an extrovert who's so wounded, you're terrified to connect to other people. Mm. In fact, that could be causing more problems for you because your natural extroversion has been fully suppressed and you are miserable, but you also think that your relationships are going to implode if you open your mouth and say a word. It could be why you're cripplingly lonely and crushingly depressed. Um, Just one piece there, but yeah, it's communication with needs, man. When you open your mouth and say, Hey, if I say, Hey, Jeremy, um, here's what I need from you. If I have bad attachment, the unconscious assumption of my brain is that again, Russian roulette, there's 50, 50 shot. If I say, Hey, Jeremy, here's what I need from you. You're going to say, you're not worth that. Wait a minute. Why am I even in this relationship with you? And you yeah. immediately hang up on me because I asked for something mm-hmm. and you realize I, you finally realize that I have been leeching off of you all this time. Yeah. Emotionally that I am worthless. There is no point in having a relationship with me. So you're out, you're out. If I, if I say one thing about my needs, it will bring the whole house of cards down. It's kind of like when I work with couples. So maybe you understand this too. When you work with couples and you say you really should, as a couple, once a month or once a week, check in with your partner about how your marriage is doing. Give us, give a state of the union address mm-hmm. with your partner and just to talk about how your, how your relationship's doing. When I tell that to couples in couples therapy, because there are couples who are in couples therapy that are experiencing problems and most likely have attachment issues. You would think I was asking them to cut their own wrist <laughs> because <laughs> the assumption is The marriage is doing okay as long as we don't talk out loud about the problems. Yeah. How can you maintain a marriage that way? Could you run a restaurant that way? Yeah. Could you, can you imagine a chef in the back and the front of house manager, and they were never allowed to tell the other one about how the problem, what problems are causing issues in their section. So the kitchen is piling up with issues. There's rotting food on one section. And then there's starving customers over here who aren't getting the, the correct order. And the front of house manager is furious at the chef and at the cooks and, and the front of the house, all the customers are leaving and they're miserable because they're getting the wrong food. Yeah. And they're never allowed to speak. They're never allowed to say, hey, you know, our <laughs> restaurant isn't going so great. Like, hey, here's here's what I could use more from you. Hey, front of house, when you bring me the tickets, if you could put the tickets here and call out that there's a ticket, that would be really great. Put, the, put yeah. your new tickets here and I'll have my tickets here and the food will go out perfect. The front of house says, yeah, that's great. If you could put your dishes here in this specific area, right? Restaurants have these expectations set up already. They have a contract set up already and they still have to communicate to make sure things are running smoothly and say, hey, they get together. What do companies do once a month? They have a meeting. How are things going? Here's some updates. Are there any problems? Here's some additional trainings we should think about. Are there problems we could work on together? Hey, back front of house, do you guys have any issues that are coming up that we can help you fix? Hey chefs, is there any issue in the kitchen that we can help you fix any wasted food or anything coming back? And they run that way and they fought, they optimize their business and that's how they stay in business. Yeah. And you run a marriage, you run, we run marriages the opposite way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Run your, run your relationships the way you would run a business that you own. Yeah, and if if you can just run your run all of your relationships like a business that you own. Right now, if I say that your relationships are probably all in the red, your your marriage is about to burn down from a grease fire that you don't know is coming. Yeah, run your marriage like a restaurant, and that will help with the, a lot of the attachment.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's um, it's it really is just communication, but but in that in order to communicate your needs, you need to know what your needs are. And, yes. and, you know, it, it's been my experience that, that, you know, presenting that idea to clients, like, well, he, you know, he or she just, uh, what, they should just know to do this. And so I'll ask like, well, did you tell them? Did you tell them <laughs> that that's what you expected? It's like, no, they should just know. It's like, okay. So you didn't tell them. Why should they just know?
1: Well, they, if they love tied you- in with that, yeah, right there, yes. right there, exactly. tied in with that is I've already done 10 nice things for them. Why don't they love me enough to figure out my code exactly. as I have secretly, as I've told them, no, I don't need that. Why haven't they figured out that that really means, yes, I need that. Yeah,
0: exactly. exactly. And so it's like, oh, yeah. well, well we, we don't, we don't have sex as much as I wish, or he never, you know, he never cleans up in the kitchen. He never helps with around the house. That's all me. It's like. Well, have you told that to him? Well, no. He should just know. Yep. No.
1: Yep. No, he shouldn't just know. You should have to tell him. No. Absolutely. And telling them is a huge thing of trust. It's a huge piece of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge part of showing that you're a good partner. Telling them your needs and then them fulfilling your needs. People, I say, well, it won't mean anything if they just do it because I told them. Uh no, that's the wrong thinking. That's the yeah. opposite thinking. Yeah. It means everything because it means you shared your need and they happily met that need. And then they consistently keep meeting that need. And that's their ability to feel like a secure, a good partner for you is meeting the needs because you say, Hey, I would really like this. Yeah. And they say, Okay, let's do it. I have a I have a three I have like a three or four minute thing that I do with people that like blows their mind. You want me to do it with you and show please, you what the change? Yes. So when people say it's not a big deal that I have these behaviors, I'm not that bad. Here's what I do. I'll walk you through this. So I'm going to have you close your eyes and I'm going to describe a scenario that I'll have you open your eyes. I'll have you answer three questions and then we'll repeat the process in the opposite way. Sounds All good. Right. You want me to do that?
0: Close yep. the eyes. Go ahead and cl- okay.
1: close. Close the eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through this. So, I want you to imagine you have the perfect partner perfect in every way mm-hmm. you're probably already feeling anxiety because they're going to abandon you um i want you to imagine that you have He's already gone the per- <laughs> yep i know they're already at the door they're packing their bags in your head um i want you to imagine you have the perfect partner who actually legitimately loves you i want you to imagine if that partner just came to you when they wanted something and very calmly not stomping their foot or demanding very calmly said hey you know what jeremy I would really like it if you would blank. It would really mean a lot to me if you would do this. Hey, you know, could you help me with the dishes? Hey, you know, I, I work so hard on Thursday nights. And I come home so tired. Could you please have dinner for me? I don't even care if it's microwave, I, whatever. Just get me something on Thursday nights. That would help me so much. If they just came to you with their needs and, and they were that open about it. If you did something they didn't like, They would tell you on the very first time and just say, oh, you know what? I don't really like that. Could you do this instead? And they give you the exact alternate that would actually help them. They don't wait until it's been five times and you're embarrassed. Nobody's angry because it's the very first time. They just calmly say, hey, you know what? I'd really appreciate this instead. And if you do something they like, they love it and they praise you for it. You give them a cool gift and they say, wow, thank you so much. This means so much to me because, and they tell you why. And they share it with you, and they're they're genuinely happy, and they just enjoy the experience of being happy, and it makes you feel good. Now open your eyes, and tell me a couple. Tell me, answer me three questions. Number one: Do you feel like that person trusts you?
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think most people say yes. Yeah. Is it is okay. The way you put that, most people say yes, it makes me think that I got it wrong. But yes, I'm sticking with you.
1: No, you got there's there's no wrong. Most people say yes, and you're right. Yeah, that person trusts you. They're a hundred percent open in every way. Yeah. A few people will actually say no, and they're like, Well, that person must have an angle for all of this. Most (laughs) people will say, most people will say yes. Yeah. That that level of openness makes me feel trusted. Yeah. Would you feel if you if they were telling you their needs that openly? They were giving you feedback on when they didn't like it and giving you feedback on when they did. And if you kept at it until you were getting good feedback on when, when you were doing good, would you feel self-esteem? Would you feel confident as a partner? Yes. The first, the first
0: couple of times I feel, like, I feel like being told I was doing it maybe not up to standard or wrong. I feel like the first couple yeah. of times it would be like, ah, pull that arrow out. Yep. But... As long as, as long as that was presented um, reasonably and not like, yep. you know, like you said, stomping your feet. Yeah, that's definitely,
1: that's a confidence builder. Yep. And then as they're fine-tuning it in, you'd feel more and more and more confident as time right. and on. Yes, exactly. Um, do you feel like that relationship would last a long time? I would certainly hope so you'd solve every problem in advance. I mean, you'd, you'd see a problem coming 10 miles off. Yeah. There's not even, there's not even room for an affair to happen in that relationship because every need is going to be met right there on the surface. Right. Wow. Right. So Hmm. close your eyes. Okay. We're going to send you through hell. (laughs) We're going to imagine (laughs) that you have the worst partner, the worst partner Okay. when they have a need, they do not ask. They do 10 nice things for you and you are supposed to guess what they've been wanting from you. And if you ask them, hey, do you want this? They'll say no. They'll deny it. They'll brush it off. Oh, no, it's not a big deal. They will not tell you what they want. There's a thousand little hints you're supposed to guess and then act on and they will never let you know exactly if you're right or wrong (laughs) in advance. You never know. When you do something they don't like or when you miss those hints, they don't tell you right away. They wait, they hold on to it, they wait, and in their mind they say something like oh well maybe I didn't do enough to make him want that, or they start stewing on it and saying why didn't he help me, why didn't he do that, Mm -hmm. they sit on it and sit on it and sit on it for three months until they have a bad day and they blow up at you and tell you all the things you've done wrong all at once and how you've made them feel terrible, and how not wonderful thing, how many good things they've done for you. Why couldn't you just do even one nice thing for me in advance? Don't you love me? Why do I love you so much more than you love me? Yeah. And they just unload on you. And you never know when that explosion is going to come, when the next one's going to come, when you've been doing the wrong thing over and over. They might even tell you, yeah, hey, no, I li- I love that meal you cooked. That was great. And then they blow up at you three months later and, ex- and say, that was disgusting you've cooked it for me eight times and i've hated it every time and you have no idea yeah and when you do something they like they treat it like a burden they start immediately thinking about how can i pay you back what can i do for you mm-hmm. well no this is no you no you didn't have to do this for me are you sure you really don't have to do this for me and then they then they immediately as soon as they can they try to sweep it under the rug and and move on with something else mm. you've created by, by being kind to them you've created a burden for them and more anxiety You never know what they want from you. You never know when explosions coming and nothing you ever do is good enough. Yeah. Now open your eyes and tell me if that person trusts you. No, (laughs) not at all. Not even
0: a little bit. Nope.
1: Do you? they, They want
0: to trust you. They want to trust you. And maybe in my experience, maybe some part of them, does trust you only up to the point that something is on the line.
1: Yeah. But you don't want to be. Yes. And intentions are cool until you're 20 years into the marriage and you have no kids and yeah. you're like 45 and your eggs are gone and he's treated you like this your whole life and you're miserable and resentful toward him because right. he's wasted 20 years of your life. Yeah. Intentions are cool for the first three weeks, but after that you don't get points for intentions you don't right. get points for wanting to trust cuz everyone wants to trust well put um do you think that marriage would last longer than 5 minutes
0: not too much longer no and, and any it's, remaining it's done, time would be Mike, hell.
1: <laughs> yes every day would be hell and as it gets as it goes on it gets worse and worse mm-hmm. it escalates the bad news is that people with attachment issues are the second partner Even if you aren't openly mean to your other partner, you are closing them off, making them feel untrusted, shutting down their ability to feel like a good partner by meeting your needs and making them feel like they're walking on eggshells for when they're going to miss your clues. Yeah. Yeah, that's the bad news. The good news (laughs) is the first partner, all they did was share their needs, be honest with you about negative feedback, and appreciate what you did for them that's all they did yeah that's all they did and that was like mind-blowingly good right that's that's the ideal relationship yeah tell you what you want tell all they have to do is all you as a partner have to do is tell the other person what you want in a clear way tell them when they're not meeting your needs give them the way that they could meet your need instead and do it promptly so that hasn't been eight times Mm -hmm. And when they are meeting your needs, appreciate what they're doing instead of feeling like it's a burden or, or a debt you have to pay back. Yeah. Those three pieces turn you from a horrible partner into a wonderful partner. Yeah. You're sh- sharing your needs with someone is a gift to them. Yeah. It's not a burden. It's It's an actual gift. That right there, that little exercise that blows most people's minds when they have <laughs> attachment issues. Yeah. Because they say, holy crap, I have been living the wrong way my whole life. Why didn't I realize this?
0: Right. And right. it's
1: because when you when you were a child, your brain learned water is wet, gravity makes things pulled up pull gravity pulls things downward, mm-hmm. and I'm an unlovable piece of crap that no one will ever accept. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a law of the universe. It's not a conscious decision that you make every day. It's a law of the universe that you take for granted and don't even think about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, you, it's, it's the taking it for granted and don't even thinking about, don't even think about a part. That's, that's the part that does you. in. you know, I always, I always use the example with clients of like, think of it like this. You're walking through uh, a, a tall grassy field and you're walking through it for the first time. You look behind you and you can see that you've roughly trod a path through the grass like some of the grass is bent down you can see basically where you were walking through the more times you walk through it the more pronounced and more uh beaten down that path is going to be until eventually you can see very clearly because all the grass is just flat on the ground and there's your path yes And, and that's that is what these unresolved attachment issues are like it's it's walking the same path back and forth And you're just reinforcing that weight on the grass. You're reinforcing that weight on your brain and on your soul that I'm an unlovable piece of crap. And if I step one toe out of line, this person who I care about, who I want to care about me, and maybe I believe that they do care about me, they're going to leave as soon as I, as soon as I express myself, as soon as I say, well, actually I have a different idea. That's it. And you have to, you have to veer off that path. You have to, you have to start walking a different one. Um, and that, you know, it takes time to, to make that new path more pronounced, but it doesn't happen if you don't start.
1: Correct. Yeah. My, um my, my, so I, I wrote a book on how to fix this called slaying your fear. And okay. I have, I have had couples with attachment issues come in where there's been an affair 2 weeks before our first couple session and they walk in and they are so distant they're 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 almost like perched on opposite ends of the couch instead wow. of sitting next to each other yeah. like 2 weeks after the affair we run through attachment we do we work on attachment for 3 sessions first session is assessment and then some education second session is attachment work third session is more attachment work by the time they come in for that fourth session um sometimes even by the time they come in for the the third session two to three weeks after they they start a month one month after the affair has been discovered that couple sometimes will report higher marriage marriage satisfaction than they've ever experienced in their entire relationship even as newlyweds yeah even as even within the first month of meeting each other they are more satisfied because they fixed their attachment yeah i've had people come in with heroin addiction And they just got out of rehab and their life is in shambles. They have no friends, no job. They live at home with their mom and they're miserable. And they work on attachment. And a month later, I'll tell them, you know, in a month, your life is not going to look like it does now. And I'm going to walk you through it. And they won't believe it. A month later, they say, Adam, I don't even recognize my life. I wake up so happy. I hate the heroin. So I haven't even used it in a week. And I don't even have cravings anymore. And and they'll talk about all these things that are wonderful. A month after fixing their attachment. I have seen incredible turnaround, incredible turnaround, as long as you know what it is, you know how to fix it. And you do the work. It's incredible how fast your whole life will turn around and then everything in your life gets better. It's like playing a video game and pausing it and saying, oh, wait a minute, I have it on the hardest difficulty. (laughs) And you turn it down to easy, Mm -hmm. and then you keep playing the game. And now all of a sudden, you're winning more, you're scoring more points. You're getting more more one-ups. You're you're, you're able to beat the bosses much faster. Wow, this is so much easier. That's what fixing your attachment is like. Everything else gets easier, and all of a sudden, your score starts going up really fast. Yeah. Again, I...
0: Yeah, all I can say is yes. That is one hundred percent accurate. So
1: I'm glad I'm glad you and I are on the same page. I'm, I'm glad to talk to a practitioner, a clinician that you and I are on the same page about where this is at. Because so many, yeah. so many clinicians that I would talk to, they have no idea.
0: Why do you no think that is?
1: You've said that before,
0: and I find that astounding. As a as a clinician, yes. I find it astounding that that this is not like the hammer in everyone's toolbox why why do you think it's that way
1: it's not taught that way in our graduate programs we uh, imagine if we had an eight uh, you know a one uh, one class on attachment imagine if even there was a one class session on attachment it would change imagine if you i I, imagine if you went through ones a one class you know a one class kind of thing one semester Mm -hmm. class that you took one semester you learned about attachment. That would yeah. be enough. That would be yeah. enough to change every clinician's life, I believe. Um, but it's not taught to us in graduate school. The yeah. same way that doctors aren't really taught about like metabolic health and how sugar <laughs> is how how um, you know in, in our heart so many heart attacks. The, the reason cholesterol is a problem is because we constantly use sugar, 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 yeah. and it irritates our blood vessels, and the blood vessels start to <laughs> rupture. And the cholesterol comes in and patches those rupture spots. And then the cholesterol over time starts to close up the heart, the artery and the passages in the heart. It's not the cholesterol. That's the problem. The cholesterol is responding to another problem. The cholesterol is keeping you alive, but killing you slower. Otherwise the, the sugar would cause your arteries to rupture and you would die at 39 at 40 because of your ruptured problem from the sugar, but they don't teach that to clinicians in school. Uh, they don't teach it to doctors in medical school and they don't teach attachment to us. They yeah. teach us how to fix the problems that come from attachment, but they don't teach us how to t- fix attachment. Yeah. They don't even teach us that they tell us not to worry about attachment unless we're working with three-year-olds. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, part of it, and I hate to be cynical, part of it is that medication and fixing the symptoms gets you a lot of money. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So no wonder it gets no wonder it gets studied. No wonder all of those issues with drugs get studied. No wonder there's thousands of, of dollars being pumped into the drugs, man. Some of those drugs, like each pill is a, is several hundred dollars. And then you can put someone on a daily dose yeah. and, and, and their, their medical insurance is paying out like 20 grand for that prescription. Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal, man. I've seen people, I have walked in and seen people on 27 different medications at the same time. Yes. And their problems were attachment. Yeah. Yeah. And when we fixed their attachment, all of a sudden their medications weren't needed anymore. So they started having even more side effects. Mm -hmm. And then their doctors very begrudgingly weaned them off of one medication. I have seen people get worse from side effects because their brain got better from attachment and they no longer even needed the medication. So then the medication turned them into a zombie, whereas Mm -hmm. before it was barely helping them function. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's, it's, we we don't learn about attachment because uh, the non-cynical part of my brain says that nobody knows about it. Nobody realizes it. Yeah. Cynical part of my brain says that there's not much money in it because you and I can fix attachment in somebody. And then they right. have a flight toward health and, and we're there with them for four sessions. And then they're like, great, that's fantastic. I'm going to go fix my problems in my relationships. Well, yeah. My life is getting better. I don't even need therapy. And then they come back a year later and say, Oh, this bad thing happened. And I'm having, having a, having a tough getting a tough time getting through it. Oh, well, have you talked to your group and your friends? Oh no, I should probably do that. So you have a half hour session every year to keep up on them Four sessions with a half hour every year, that's not much money for you no. and me, and it's not much money for med providers, no. and it's not much money for the entire psychology industry. Most yeah. people are not driven by money. Most people are not driven by money, but the people who are making the decisions for us and the APA and things like that, a lot of them have people lobbying them, and and those lobbying things are are based very much on big money. So, yeah. I, th- I think that there will probably be a lot of people coming out of the woodwork to tell that people like you and me that we're crazy for thinking attachment can solve problems, but attachment is huge. And I wish everybody knew about it. And I am relieved to know that there are clinicians like you out there. Yeah. Doing that. Cause I get, I have requests piling up in my, my email. I can't even respond to all of them asking me if I can do therapy or coaching for them. Yeah. So it's, I will remember you and, sh- and, sh- and funnel people toward you for that because Please. finding a therapist Finding a clinician at all who knows about attachment is like finding a diamond in your backyard. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And speaking of finding diamonds, this book right here, I don't know if it's is this reading Uh, the right way or is it backwards?
1: No, that's reading the right way. Okay. Attachment and psychotherapy.
0: Yeah, this book right here, I don't know if you've read it, um, by David Wallen. I I was just on Amazon one day. I was looking to see what books about attachment were out there that weren't just like solve your attachment and find the love of your life. Because a lot of them are <laughs> branded as like a quick fix to to get a good date. And you know, yes, that might be a, a byproduct, but that's really not the the sole motivation here. It should be to fix yourself. But right. this one, like this right. one, I found this one and. Oh, there's that bookmark. I found this one and um had good reviews. Uh the guy's a doctor, a long, a long practicing psychologist. So I thought, okay, that seems like a pretty good pedigree. I took a chance on it. It's 338 very dense pages, but I think I read it in like two weeks. And it was so good, in fact. Yeah. I, it was so good, in fact, that I I told my therapist about it. I said, you know, I'm reading this book because my therapist and I, we have this weird thing where Everything I'm experiencing, they've either just experienced or they're starting to, and so it's it's kind of I like see. the blind leading the blind in a, in a sense. Yep. And so, yep. And and so I, I I referred my therapist to this book, and like she's now using it in her practice. But I say all that to say, it took me two weeks. It, it took me two weeks to yeah. read a, a pretty clinical book about attachments, yes. and yet we can't we can't talk about it in the graduate programs. For more than like a quarter of one class session, and it's like okay, you're an expert now. It's like nope, I know you're
1: not. um And that's that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem is that so few people are talking about attachment, mm-hmm. and when they do, it's a 300 page textbook that a clinician takes two weeks to get through. Yeah. Um, Dr. Robert Glover's book is something like 200, 250, not 300 pages, probably 250 pages. I bought when I first read his book, I was like lightning bolt and I bought like eight (laughs) copies and started trying to hand them out to people Mm -hmm. in my practice saying, read this and come back, at least read a couple chapters and come back and let's talk about it. And they would come back and say, no, I didn't read it. No, I didn't read it. And then they would stop coming because they were embarrassed for having not read it. And then I lost all my copies because nobody would read it because people Mm -hmm. don't like reading books. A lot of people. Um, I wrote a 100 page guide it's 25 pages of how what what attachment is 25 pages of why are you messed up and 50 pages of how do you fix yourself it's a hundred pages and i write like gun gunfight and car chase fiction pulp fiction Mm -hmm. in my in my side job i write fun fiction that's just like explosions on every other page yeah so i took that writing style and applied it to a 100 page book for attachment it's a two hour audible book Yeah, It's two hours on audible. It's like 12 chapters. So each chapter is like, what is that? Five, five minutes, eight minutes. Yeah. Somewhere there. Yeah. Um, We have to, we have to boil attachment down so people can read it faster and learn about it faster. These podcasts, that's why I love doing these. Mm -hmm. is someone can sit here for an hour and learn all about attachment and say, wow, I'm messed up. And then, (laughs) but, but understand how and why and what to do about it. You and I didn't get to cover what to do about it much today. Yeah. But I, my book work with you. Hire you. Hire Jeremy and your life will be solved. Um <laughs> read my book. Read my book as a primer and then hire Jeremy to to uh, to apply my book and your life will be perfect. Yeah. There's there's you and me. There's the one to punch. There you go. Um but attachment is everything and the more people learn about it the better this world's going to become. So then because we, we've gone
0: longer than I intended, and I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I would love to have you back talk yeah. about it more and more and more. Because like you, I could talk about this until the sun goes down. Um, Absolutely. But I want to. I want to end. I want uh, there. There are two more questions, and maybe we can just kind of skate over these. But I'll ask them to you both. <clears throat> if someone wanted to, if someone wanted to begin to work on their attachment issues. What what step or steps would you recommend they take? That's the first question. The second question yep. is, can attachment save the world? Go.
1: Uh, number one, yes, attachment can save the world. Attachment can save everything. If we can all fix our attachment, this world will get so much better. So much better because it, even... even the bad people their power will be diminished because everyone will be so healthy in their attachment they won't need the the approval of bad people yeah and they will be so focused on getting better that bad people will have to live in a cave somewhere yelling at people as you as you as you walk by trying to get your attention and good people will be running the world that's how powerful attachment is um what steps do you take number one you have to learn what attachment is yeah and now you do now you know Number two, you have to learn to diminish the emotional anxiety response because your logical brain is here on the left side. Your emotional brain is here on the right side. My camera's Mm -hmm. probably reversed. Um, No, you're good. When you're anxious, when you're anxious, your brain does this shift. Less, It drains energy off the logical brain to fuel the emotional storms. That's -hmm. why you can't logic your way out of feelings, and that's why you can't make yourself go do things you hate, like having these tough conversations. You have to learn to balance that usually with physical activity intense, prolonged physical discomfort mm-hmm. makes it where you are less anxious. It will it will actually shift, drain your emotional brain to zero, boost your logical brain, and then you can have those conversations and process your traumas and do all kinds of stuff. Um, that's why working out is really powerful. Running is powerful. Yoga is powerful. Progressive muscle relaxation is one thing I used for people for like 15 minutes. It takes yeah. you from seven out of 10 to zero. Most people with attachment are daily at seven out of 10 anxiety and don't realize it. Yeah. They have almost never experienced what zero anxiety feels like. Um, prolonged physical discomfort will help you get there. That is just a vehicle though, to help you diminish the anxiety response. so You can go to someone that you love in your life and say, I love you. You don't have to say that. You say, I'm an anxious person. I, I have problems in my relationships because I want everyone to like me. So I perform but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to have a real conversation with you and a real relationship with you. Can you help me do that?
0: Yeah.
1: And the other person, that sounds terrifying. Like that is going to your head and all chambers are loaded. Um, <laughs> in reality, in reality, what's going to happen is you are going to be incredibly anxious. The moment you open your mouth, you're going to go, uh, 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 and then you're going to say, I'm, a, I'm an anxious person. Mm-hmm. And by the time it takes to squeak that out, the other person will be looking at you with care and actually like looking at you and and they haven't set you on fire they haven't thrown you out the window yet your yeah. brain will say wow they're kind of accepting me and they're gonna say yeah i know you're an anxious person did you really think i didn't know that and you're gonna say and when i'm in relationships i trying to make people ha- like me and i'm anxious i'm worried and i'm always performing and they're gonna say oh yeah i already knew this about you yeah. And you're going to be receiving acceptance. And the part of you that says, everyone hates me. I'm a piece of crap. There's something wrong with me that everyone else can see, but I can't. You do this with that person and you open that up to them and they say, no, you're fine. I'd love to be in a relationship with you. No, I'd love to have a, a deeper friendship with you. No, I'd love to. Yeah, I'll tell you when things are wrong. Yeah. And you can definitely tell me when something's wrong. Oh, something's bothering you. Well, let's work through it real quick. If they have healthy attachment, even if they don't have healthy attachment, everybody is like, yes, please, let's have a real relationship. That actually sounds nice. Everyone will. I don't know that I've ever had someone come back and say, no, that person said, no, they didn't want to have a deep meaning relationship with me. (laughs) Um, The magic number is three. So when you do this for three people, the number one, your brain will say, don't do it. We are going to die. And then when they say, no, you're fine. I accept you. Your brain's going to say, okay, that was clearly a fluke and will never happen again. Let's not ever talk to this person or about anything real or tell or try with anyone else. When you try with a second person, your brain will say, okay, maybe it's like 50-50. Maybe maybe, I'll, maybe it's a 50-50 that I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Then the second person accepts you and your brain says, huh, maybe there's something here. Third person, your brain says, okay, no, I was clearly wrong. It rewrites your neural pathways and says, okay three people have seen me three people. I've opened up to three people. They have all accepted me. Mm. I was wrong. Three is the magic number and your brain clicks and says, I don't need approval from people anymore. Yeah, I can be honest. I can love people. Three people love me. I can just say what I want. And as you start experiencing that experientially, it's systematic desensitization kicks in Yeah, um, but for three people, but it also kicks in more and more and your brain says, wow, this feels great because it feels wonderful you start getting oxytocin releases as you're bonding with people and your brain says well this feels good you get dopamine releases as people meet your needs and then tell you like wow thanks you're a really good friend (gasps) and dopamine releases and your brain becomes addicted to good attachment Mm -hmm. and then it's like a then you can't stop yeah. because then you've seen then you, you cannot you cannot unsee what has been seen so then <laughs> you have incredible attachment you will drive out the unhealthy people from your life yes you will but yeah. you will also gather in healthy people and deepen your relationships with the good people around you and then life again it's easy mode that one two three learn about attachment get yourself to a point where your anxiety isn't going to stop you then have those three conversations yeah um, and then step four lean into those conversations and actually have those conversations and and say, Hey, you know, Hey, you did this thing and I didn't love it. Hey, here's what I'd I'd rather you do. Hey, can you help me with this? Yeah. Hey, can I help you with that? Yeah. It it, it deepens it through the experience, man. Give it like 90 days. If you do all three of those pieces this week and then deepen those three relationships over the next 90 days, you will not recognize your life three months from now. What is it? September? September by the time Christmas by the, by the time Christmas rolls around <laughs> yeah. you will not recognize your own life yeah you will not know what's going on. You will say I am so happy, I am so fulfilled, I feel so safe and secure and I don't care what anyone thinks of me. Yeah. your life will change your addictions will plummet. Oh man 90 days 90 days to health I should I should write a book 90 days to good attachment. <laughs> Yeah. It it would it would fix everything, man. It it really is how fast you want to go. Three yeah. people, have the conversation, crack yourself open, play the game, shoot your shot, and do it. The realization that uh, the, the real piece is this, I'm gonna leave people with this. You are probably already so miserable that you sometimes wish you were dead. If your brain is telling you that opening up to other people is going to kill you, take your shot anyway because your current life is killing you yeah opening up to other people won't actually kill you and it can solve everything and make you actually love your life when you have good attachment you actually like being alive you actually like waking up and you actually like having a day ahead of you everything changes It it's from it's from death march mode on the video game to easy mode on the video game and your score boosts through the roof so yeah take the shot man take the shot you've got nothing to lose i, I mean when you have bad attachment, what are you living for like and I don't mean that like as a bad like like I'm making fun of people like sure. when you have bad attachment, what are you living for? yeah you're just living to not die I think when you have good um, attachment you're living for joy
0: yeah you're you're living when you have good attachment all the others Actually, you're you're surviving. surviving yeah exactly exactly
1: attachment there we go. Here's the key line for your show. Attachment is the difference between surviving and living.
0: Oof. That's a good one. I love it. I love it. And I think that's a good note to end on. Um, where can people find Perfect. you, Adam?
1: Uh, I am online on my website at adamlanesmith.com. That's L-A-N-E. You have to put that in there. Otherwise, you get that old dead economist, sure. Adam Lane Smith. Uh, I'm on Twitter. where I'm Adam Lane Smith. Um, actually, my handle is at Brometheus. Um, where else am I? I don't know. I'm here. I'm here on this podcast. <laughs> Website is the number one place. I am building a YouTube channel, actually an educational YouTube channel. So if you okay. YouTube Adam Lane Smith, you're going to get this handsome face and you're <laughs> going to get some of my videos that are on there and some of the podcasts I've been on there. I think I just released a video like a, a week or two ago about how to master social anxiety, mm. beat social anxiety, master conversation through motivational interviewing. You probably know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um taking therapist at therapist conversational skills and turning them into this is how you beat social anxiety and have conversations with confidence. Interesting. Um so I'm, I'm I'm building a whole educational YouTube channel there. So I like that it. That takes off.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. Um well you're always welcome on the show. I really enjoyed this. I'd, um
1: this 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 has been fun. I would definitely come back for this.
0: Well, then I'm going to I'm going to put you on the I'm going to put you on the return list because I still have more questions and more things that I want to talk to you about. Perfect. Um, so I'll have you back. That's for two. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me.